sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk. With Derek and Miley. Hey, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. You all know that I like to bring people back that I just love to talk to. And I, I just respect this person so very much. I have, again, the wonderful Cindy Darnell, sex and relationship therapist. I think I told you last time I've, I have wanted to be you when I grow up. This is, it hasn't, has nothing to do with an age thing. I just really so respect what you do. So I'm just so glad to be here. I'm so glad to be here with you. Thank you for coming. Oh, it's lovely to be back here, Erica. I love it. So I specifically, you you posted these two brand spanking new, a case report and uh, an, another paper that you have published. Mm-hmm. And we're going to we're going to jump right into them. You specifically did a case report and then a somatic and sex therapy and working in the body within the present moment, like bringing mm-hmm. the body to the present. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk about all of those aspects and we're going to kind of bring them together. Y'all hang on. We got, it's dense today. It's dense. dense. I'm, all, <laughs> I'm all about the density, man. Bring it on. <laughs> so I, I, I really want to out the gate, talk about how you reference the body experience of our daily lives and how it's downplayed, undervalued. I, I mean, when I read this, I, I thought about like every moment of not only just my life, my clients' lives, that how frequently the experience of the body is just shoved aside. I know I mentioned before we started like diet culture and all of those things where the body and the actual experience of the body is ignored or we were told we're wrong. I want to I, I want to talk about this a little bit, like how can we as people start to really come back to our bodies mm. and when we're up against a lot of messages that tell us otherwise? Yeah, well, I mean, the first thing is in recognizing that it's even happening, because a mm. lot of us are kind of just brains on a stick. And we don't realize that we even have bodies. Mm. And one of the crucial things about having good sex is in the practice of being embodied, the practice of actually feeling your body. And we Mm -hmm. often think about sex as something that involves genitals and breasts and such, and it does. But sex is also about just being aware of the sensations of your body on a daily basis when you're just existing. Mm -hmm. So one of the first ways that people can practice being a bit more embodied, so, you know, that's a word that means to be in your body of sensation, Mm -hmm. is to just right now, as you're sitting, standing, listening, driving, whatever you're doing, listening to this podcast, notice the big toe on your right foot. Just notice what it's doing. Make a connection with it. And you I'm might need to wiggle it. Yeah, you might need to I'm wiggle it, it to break the connection because even in that instant moment, you'll be like, oh, gosh, I can't, actually can't feel my toes, you know, mm-hmm. or it takes a couple of seconds for the mind and the toes to connect because we spend most of our time not thinking about what our toes are doing because mm-hmm. we don't have to, unless there's pain there, then perhaps we're more aware of them. So now bring your attention to the back of your left knee. There it is. And then notice That's how long, me. yep, notice how long it takes for that connection to happen. It's often, for a lot of folks, it's a, it's a few seconds. It's not instantaneous. Mm-hmm. And now bring your attention to your right armpit. 
Got it. And so I'm just picking these sort of random disparate parts of the body, parts of the body that we tend to not think about very much. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, the skills required to be able to have great sex are the exact same skills that we use to tune into our foot or our knee or our armpit. It's about bringing our attention Mm -hmm. to what the body is doing and at this stage, all we're doing is addressing the surface level. We're just addressing, you know, the, just the, the notion that a, an extremity is there, that there's a knee there or that there's a toe or an armpit there. Mm. At deeper levels, we can actually dive in and go, well, can you feel the nail? Can you feel the bone? Can you feel the, the, the viscera? Can you feel the blood? But for our purposes, just as a beginner level practice, it's simply a, a matter of bringing awareness to the fact that we have a body. And if we do that, say, every two hours for 30 seconds every day. That is a really rock-solid practice of embodiment, which means that by the time you come around to having sex, partnered or solo, your body is going to be in a habit of being able to tune into itself. And so it's going to be less weird and less freaky to do in the middle of sex because your body is going to be like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. Mm-hmm. And so starting to have an embodied practice just in your daily life is, I think, one of the most important things we can do to start having a somatic relationship with ourselves. So somatic means of the body. A somatic relationship with ourselves means we're not just brains on sticks. We're brains and bodies and sensations that are capable of extraordinary pleasure if we learn how to use the instrument that we live in. Sorry about the noise outside. It's New York City. Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our best. It's just, we're going to have sound. Like, we can't help it. We're all, we've all been home for so long or, or not out and about as like, like, oh, there's city sounds. Look at that. Exactly. Not just brains on sticks. I'm, I'm typing that down because yeah. I, I think that you're, you're pulling out something that is incredibly important to the practice of something I work with my clients a lot, which is mindfulness. It's, yeah. it's, it's not just sitting on a cushion trying to make your mind blank because that's mm. not what the mind does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a machine made to think. Yeah. It's going to keep running mm-hmm. until we're dead. Mm-hmm. So you're asking essentially like your clients to turn on that curiosity muscle. Yeah. That's I'm going to become the observer of mm-hmm. my own physical experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in, in, in the least complicated way that you possibly can, especially mm-hmm. when you're beginning. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that that's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's something that people can do that, you know, there's this sort of, when people think it's therapy, it's sex therapy, it's going to be heavy and scary and freaky and intense. And I mean, sometimes it can be all of those things, but it can also be as simple as bringing your attention to your knee mm-hmm. and, and just noticing what you feel, noticing things like texture and temperature. And, and then as you bring your attention to it, does it change a little bit? You know, once you start paying attention to it, then it's like, oh, gosh, oh, I'm a bit itchy, actually. I need to scratch it. Mm-hmm. And, and just sort of we call it tracking, tracking the sensations as they move around the body allows us to develop a relationship with this instrument. Um, because, you know, I relate to our bodies as instruments. We've got to learn how to play them. Mm. 
Oh, the mu- my inner musician just like went, my heart went pitter pat. <laughs> pitter pat. Seriously. You know, and I, I know you do as well. I, I work with a lot of folks with, with body image issues or, or yeah. body issues generally, chronic illness. And, and like you, I have found the, the cognitive based treatments for mental health really fundamentally inadequate. And, and I'm yeah. not like coming for, any of my CBT folks out there, like, I, I love y'all. Y'all are working hard. I get it. But I, I just find, especially with, with sexuality, with trauma, with many of these body issues that my clients face, that they're just not enough. They're, they're, there's not, it's not wide enough. It's not big enough right. to hold all of the things. Yeah. So I find more body-based and mindfulness-based treatments more effective. So how yeah. do we bring the the somatics into sex therapy and clinical mental health overall, because I know mm. there's people who are really concerned about like, and I know you've read the papers too, the ethics of that. And yeah. I'm like, but this is bodies. How is it? And I thought, okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So I think how do yeah, we do it? Well, we're in a transitional phase, I think with regard to traditional mental health therapy. So from my personal background, I, I trained originally as a mental health therapist, you know, mm-hmm. like a lot of folks did. And then over the years, then I sort of specialized in sex therapy. And now I've, I've pretty much moved away from mental health therapy entirely for a variety of reasons. But the primary one being that I focus exclusively on sex and relationships. And so in that, the work that I'm doing now and the papers that I'm writing and offering training to clinicians around this is to really invite clinicians to say, all right, so we are trained in traditional psychotherapeutic models and in medicine and various things to look for problems. We're looking for diseases. We're looking for symptoms. Mm. You know, we have to find a diagnosis before we can slap on a a cure. Mm -hmm. The position of somatics is not to necessarily be looking for diseases, but to be looking for what is there. Mm -hmm. And so it's a whole different way of paying attention to the client's needs is that we're not necessarily looking for what's wrong, Mm -hmm. but we're looking for what is present. And then in some cases, we're also looking for what's right when, because the clients can have knowledge of this to say, Mm. well, you know, my, my anxiety tends to recede when I, when I'm taking a bath or my anxiety recedes when I'm masturbating. And Mm -hmm. so this is how we end up sometimes with one of these bogus diagnoses like sex addiction, like someone Mm -hmm. who can't stop jerking off all the time. Oh, well, he must be a sex addict. We've pretty, we've got the clinical evidence to say now that that's all BS. But what we also know is that someone who's got an underlying sense of discomfort or, or perhaps anxiety, who will self-soothe through some Mm -hmm. sort of erotic practice, that that's a way that they have discovered to integrate their nervous system, their physical self, as a way of soothing the nervous system in the best way they know how, Mm -hmm. in a way that brings them pleasure. The bummer with it is that they're doing it in such a way that's also causing them a little bit of grief. Mm -hmm. So it's about retraining them how to integrate the good work that they're doing with their body is that they recognize masturbation is a pleasure tool. They recognize masturbation is a nerve tonic. It soothes us. Mm-hmm. But we also need to recognize that to, that teaching clients how to use their bodies in such a way that we bring that knowledge and wisdom forward also mm. empowers them and takes them away from this traditional model that we get taught in therapy school about looking for problems and looking for diagnoses and mm-hmm. especially in the US where a diagnosis 
means an insurance code yep. and is not necessarily connected to the client's mm-hmm. well-being. Absolutely. And so this is where somatics really sort of sits outside the square because it doesn't necessarily take a, a pathologizing view. It looks at sex, especially in context of of how the client lives. And I know that we would do that in a mental health context as well, but then people get really icky when it's mm-hmm. sex therapy and somatics because then we think, well, how is that different than sex work, you know, which is a whole other discussion. Right. Right. But people feel f- people are okay talking about sex and somatics if there's trauma involved. They're mm-hmm. like, okay, you know, as long as someone's in pain, we can talk about somatics. But we talk, start talking about sex and somatics and pleasure, and people lose their minds because that's yeah. terrifying. Apparently, it's okay to talk about sex with pain, and it's not okay to talk about sex with pleasure when we're incorporating somatics. And this is a cultural shift that mm-hmm. needs to change. And so the papers that I have written are really about bringing that argument forward and saying perhaps, perhaps we as clinicians have the wrong end of the deal Mm -hmm. and perhaps we need to rethink our relationship with the shame that's embedded in how we see the body. And instead of privileging the intellect over the body, perhaps we can incorporate it, not get rid of the intellect. The intellect has its purpose you know Mm -hmm. cbt has a purpose all the cognitive therapies have a purpose i'm also trained in narrative therapy very cognitive Mm -hmm. but we have to be able to bring the somatics into it to get a robust understanding of what the client's experience is like being in the world especially with sex because sex happens in the body even if it's a solo practice it's still happening in the body absolutely and you brought so clearly forward that Therapists and psychologists and any one of us who is working in any kind of the helping capacity for mental and sexual health, that we were not unscathed by the cultural views of shame around sex. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very clear in what you're talking about, like the, yeah. that that pleasure cannot be the reason. I, I having worked with those who've committed sexual crimes, even in within that setting, in the prison setting, there was this idea of sex as coping. Right. And that it was a negative issue, that right. it was a negative thing. It was something to make sure that they were not doing or using. And I, I, I could never understand that perspective, especially from, from the perspective of not harming another person, one and two. The idea that no one in the mental health field has ever seen somebody who is dealing with schizophrenia, masturbating to try to cope with a severe psychosis episode with masturbation and seeing that as something that is something they should not do. When it, for many of us, from the time we were born, that may have been one of our first coping mechanisms that we ever learned. And so I just think you're placing a light on something that is so needed and necessary. Um, So let's, let's, let's bring it into pain. Let's, let's talk specifically about (laughs) terrible language around this diagnosis specifically, (laughs) which so we're going to, we're going to say GPP slash PD and it's, awful like i don't any nobody wants to say that they have this disorder like in the in it mm. because it I, when when did it change what dsm5 yeah 
Yeah, they so, took out they took out vaginismus and vulvodynia and dyspareunia and squished them all together into this GPP slash PD, which is genitopelvic pain penetration disorder, which is like, a lot of words and a lot of fricatives and it's really not very pleasant. So many Ps. So many Ps. <laughs> and even the penetrate, just all of it, I just, it's like it's just a lech. I, it's a phrase I would never use outside of having to because I'm writing about it. But, yeah, exactly. So but it I, used I, to be called vaginismus or it used to be called dyspareunia or it used to be called vulvodynia and now it's called this. And when Huge. clients come to me, they they use those words. They use vulvodynia. They yeah. use like they're they're not using GPP PD. Yeah. They're, they're not. <laughs> I, I would bet we're gonna is. we're gonna see the, we're gonna see a change again. We're gonna I'm sure because yeah. all of us are gonna be like that was was a mistake. <laughs> um, anyway, I, yeah, I I'm gonna read. The, it's a bit of a long quote, but I I think it's I think it's really important because you talk specifically about the connection between the experience of pain during sex to our fight or flight or freeze system or the mm -hmm. alarm system of the brain. Mm -hmm. And it's so very true in my work and the work that I've done around physical and sexual abuse. And you said that it correlates less to the presence of GPPPD, so many Ps, than historical, historical emotional abuse and neglect, indicating that the traumatized response may appear physiologically as an anxiety slash protection response. So the alarm system, again, mm -hmm. and to an erotically hostile culture, which I want that, I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I want that. I live in an er erotically hostile culture or a lack of awareness of sexual pleasure slash education rather than a solely, solely a response to a single traumatic event. And this is why... Over and over again, this is what I hear from my people. The, my partner didn't traumatize me. Why am I experiencing this? I want to experience pleasure during sex. Why can't I just do this? That is uh, that sentence. Yeah. All the time. All the time. That's so what I hear also the same. I, and I, I really do want to hear from you, like as much as you and I read research all the time and, and you have beautifully written research here, how do we break this down for maybe the average person experiencing this or mm. may, maybe even another clinician who, mm. who hasn't read this? So basically what I discovered in researching the prevalence of, let's say, vaginal pain with penis and vagina intercourse is that's really specifically what I was talking about in that paper. Mm -hmm. What across a multitude of studies, what, I discovered was that while sexual abuse is definitely a thing and early childhood sexual abuse is also definitely a thing, there didn't appear to be, across multiple studies, there didn't appear to be a direct relationship between women and girls who had been sexually abused and the presence of painful intercourse. Mm -hmm. What did seem to have a stronger correlation was women and girls who had grown up in religious families, mm -hmm. women and girls who had grown up with a domineering parent, mm -hmm. women and girls who had had who did not have any sex education, mm -hmm. and women and girls who felt alienated from their bodies and from pleasure. That had a mm -hmm. much, much, much higher correlation than the presence of a direct sexually abusive scenario where somebody could say everything was fine and then I was sexually assaulted and then everything was downhill after that. Not mm -hmm. to say that have, being the recipient of a sexual assault has no effect. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying the effect may not be painful penetration. Right. It, there may be other effects. 
Mm-hmm. So we're looking very specifically at penis in, and, again, very specifically at penis and vagina intercourse among heterosexual couples. Mm-hmm. So what we can sort of deduce from that is that old narrative of, you know, if a woman's not enjoying sex, it must be because she's been sexually abused or sexually assaulted or that there's something wrong with her. Mm-hmm. When what we can really see coming through in the current round of research is that this is starting to overwhelmingly look like a social phenomenon, a social problem, rather than a problem with any given individual mm-hmm. that, I mean, if I dare say it, it is sort of descending from from patriarchy. This is, this is really a, a, a problem of patriarchy. I was just going to ask you, I just think that this is so deeply, and so many of my clients who have experienced this, we talk about powerlessness. Yeah. What happens for your body when you experience or perceive powerlessness? Right. Would you would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's perhaps even more complicated than powerlessness. It's it's a combination of powerlessness for sure, powerlessness, and also just not having any information, not having any education, yeah. which I guess in a way is is designed to keep you powerless because if we keep mm-hmm. you if we keep you ignorant and docile then by association you're going to be powerless. So You're going to be much easier to control. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, and then this sort of really piggybacks onto the back of slut-shaming narratives and all this Mm. kind of purity culture and all of these things that are still rife, even though we're probably Mm -hmm. living in the most progressive times of human history. Mm -hmm. Still, still women feel overwhelmingly that sex is not theirs to own. It's changing. Mm-hmm. It's definitely changing. It's certainly better than it was even 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But we need to start looking at painful intercourse, GPPPD. The P, the P, the P disorder. Or as, something. I don't know. Yeah, well, it, it is a P disorder. It's a patriarchy disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, a, as a social phenomenon rather than an individual shortcoming. Now, this is also very specifically in women who have had thorough gynecological and medical assessments and they have determined that there is no physiological reason for it. Sometimes it does have a physiological root if there is some, there was a complicated vaginal birth or something else had happened or, you Mm -hmm. know, there's some sort of shift in the pelvic bones that is causing cramping. That's a legitimate thing as well, but that's not what I'm talking about. So I'm talking about women who have had medical assessments that have come up with, we don't know, then that's when they would come to somebody like me or you potentially mm-hmm. and and start saying, well, I don't know what's wrong. And then we would have to start looking at it, looking at it through the lens of getting in touch with your body, learning how to bring so that same practice of what we did with the toes and the knees and the armpits, a practice like that, but then also sort of scaling up over a period of time, scaling up to have a very similar practice in your relationship with your genitals. And that can take time, especially if we're unpacking, you know, thousands of years of cultural conditioning Mm -hmm. that vaginas and vulvas are disgusting. Mm-hmm. and that sex is only for bad girls and I'm not a bad girl and if I do this, mm-hmm. I'll go to hell and all the other things that, you know, folks mm-hmm. believe. So that's where this stuff comes from. and Or it's supposed to hurt your first time. Right. That's another one too. And, and also that penis in vagina sex is the only valid form of sex a heterosexual mm-hmm. woman can have. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So all these kinds of things really feed into it. And so in terms of a treatment plan, I would often probably start working with the woman on her own and then maybe, maybe invite the partner in a bit later because this because this is cultural. Everybody needs mm-hmm. to be informed. This is not like a secret woman's problem. This is a problem right. that the world has or certainly the Western world. Mm-hmm. And to clarify too, I mean, the research that I was looking at, the only research I could find was on um, primarily on Western women. I didn't find any research on women from other cultural backgrounds. So it would be interesting to see if Mm -hmm. there was other stuff. I didn't find any, but um, Mm -hmm. the prevalence of this among non-Western cultures would be an interesting thing to read. If anybody's listening to this and has some, please get in touch Mm -hmm. with me. I'd like to read about it. Same. All the socials will be available to you. We would, <laughs> I would absolutely love to see that because I, yeah. I, I do think you're, we don't include the entirety of the cultural experience of our bodies when we right. are talking about our, especially when we are talking about the Western disease model. Right. Yeah. So, and that's I, the thing about, you know, Western culture is erotically hostile it's it's erotically hostile to men as well i think Mm -hmm. but it's especially erotically hostile to women oh i just again i wanted on a shirt that i grew up (laughs) in erotically hostile culture yeah absolutely and so i just so appreciate that you have been willing to come and chat with me today because these these papers are wonderful and i if any folks out there want to find you and or work with you how do they find you in this big old world? So they should come to my website, which is cindydarnell.com, C-Y-N-D-I-D-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. I'm currently based in New York City. I'll be here certainly for the next five years, 10 years. Mm-hmm. I'm not planning on going anywhere. And I work with clients all over the world. I'm not uh, I'm not bound by state rules. I'm, I'm a free bird. So mm-hmm. wherever you live. I am accessible, obviously, and especially now with Zoom, everybody's Zooming. And Mm -hmm. uh, the way that I work works perfectly well on Zoom as well. So it's interesting actually being able to do somatic work across across a video platform. People are like, oh, how does that work? I'm like, it works. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. On my website, all the stuff is there. And uh, and I'll have a book coming out next year, which is is not about – painful penetration. It is about libido and I don't fully have a title for it yet, but the working title is fucking while you don't feel like it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my vote. I, 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 I'm just going to pretend like that's the title of the book. Even if it ends up being something different, I'm going to be yeah. like, I'm going to write on the inside of my copy. This is what it is. <laughs> this is what it was going to be. Fucking when you don't feel like it. So it's basically about that. So if you, if you struggle with um, getting in the mood, libido, desire, all that stuff. It's a, it's going to be about that. You are just such a blessing to us. Thank you again for coming on the show. And folks, thanks for sticking around to the end. You can find Cindy anywhere. I'll make sure everything is in the show notes. And we will see you all next time. <laughs>